And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a special edition summer version of the Warriors All-82 podcast. I can call it Warriors All-82 because this is technically a post-game podcast. Nate Duncan is with me. He's going to talk a little Warriors free agency, but we also saw a Warriors game. I mean, Warriors in air quotes. I mean, even not only are, are they supposed to play their young guys in summer and didn't play any of them, or at least the rostered ones uh, tonight, but Guy Santos was kind of interesting. The Santos era has begun, Slater. I, I, you know, I put out some highlights online, and somebody said Brazilian Luca. Thought that was a little bit bold, <laughs> but I mean, we are looking at a autograph line right now to get Guy Santos's autograph, and it's still we're probably what an hour after the game. Keegan Murray's already talked. We were in his press conference. The Kings have already talked, and we are staring at a line that goes all the way up into the stands, waiting to get Guy Santos's autograph. Yeah, well, I, I was impressed by it. I didn't know anything about him uh, before this, but he's kind of got, like, a, that South American feel for the game with just a good ability to get in the passing lanes for steals, run down loose balls, uh, really nice Euro step finishing game, and looked like he could shoot it okay. He hit a three when the defense went under on pick and roll. So for a 55th pick, rarely is that sort of a player going to come in and look good. Uh, we seen some other picks in the 50s that maybe don't look as good at times for this team so uh yeah it's a good debut for him looking like a guy who has some talent sir alan smiley each i believe was 39th yeah i was more talking about jessup actually Ooh, taking shots at justinian jessup <laughs> um we don't need to talk keegan murray although he was in i mean he was good tonight and we don't need to get to Guy santos but um you know you're mostly joining us to talk warriors free agency at this point we're talking whatever day it is what's uh july 2nd um the they've lost Otto porter they've lost gary payton the second obviously the big one lost bielitsa overseas uh and but I mean, let's just start with to me what's like the big roster flip. We're talking about the meat of their rotation is losing Gary Payton the second, who they did not want to lose, they did not intend to lose. Um, but the pivot from that to get Dante DiVincenzo. Um, just what do you? Let's just start there. What do you think of that flip up? Well, I guess we could just talk about how it was that they lost Gary Payton the second to begin with, and I think he's a really important player for them. He was a uniquely valuable player to the Warriors as opposed to other teams but it did seem like the Blazers just from a basketball standpoint before you talk about the Dame Lillard and the Aaron Goodwin and the Oregon ties and all that too were one of the few places where they could make as good a use of him as the Warriors have I expect Portland to kind of use him in some small lineups when they play Jeremy Grant at center maybe um you know he could even replace Nurkic in their closing lineups at times they could they're one of the few teams that can use him the way that the Warriors did a little bit. And for Golden State, it just 
going three years on a 29-year-old at $8 million a year with a player option as well, I think if I were Bob Myers, and you know certainly they can afford to pay, I think I would have had difficulty recommending, even given how valuable Gary Payton II was to them last year, recommending that you outlay you know, $50 million in cash for the next three years for Gary Payton II. Uh, and particularly with it being three years instead of two. You would talk to, you know, people in the lead-up to free agency, like who's interested in Gary Payton the second, which teams, you know, I know Dallas uh, was one of the teams, obviously Portland was, there was, there was others. But I liked West uh, teams going after him for a few reasons. Obviously you take him off the table of the West champs. Yeah. Uh, and he's a you know a winning rotation piece, but also he can defend the like he profiles as a good defender of the Warriors. Not only does he obviously uh, you know he can he can maybe trail Steph uh, you know around screens better than most guards, but I mean he spent an entire year practicing against them. I mean like talk about a guy who'll be familiar. I'm just you know as you zoom back and think about next season, it's it's probably best for them that it's Portland and not a Dallas because Portland doesn't seem like they. I mean, maybe I'll get your opinion, but I think Dallas is a bigger threat than Portland. Um, but, man, when when the angst about the Gary Payton II loss will feel at its most, and there is some angst. Like, there's, they wanted him back. They were, you know, didn't – there was a lot of people – the way I termed it in the article was, like, a lot of people were kind of stung that he left. Um, I think it's going to – they're going to feel it most if there's, like, a Blazers-Warrior series and suddenly he's hounding Steph Curry because he – is going to be that type of defender. Yeah, and I think overall, too, like they're this puts a lot of pressure on the young guys now to step up. I think, like, and Porter, and remember Iguodala, too. Like, the Warriors, when they were so good defensively for the first half of the year, it was Draymond, yes, but it was also Iguodala playing well. Otto Porter was more spry than he was at the end of the season, and then Peyton as well, and they were just forcing a ton of turnovers. If you drove into the lane, they would collapse. You try to kick out, they get deflections. That element is now kind of missing. Porter is gone. Like, and again, I don't think it made sense to bring Porter back at more than the vet minimum because they need Jonathan Kaminga to play. Like, they drafted him number seven. Like, that's his spot. When you draft young guys, you provide a path for them to move into. You might feel the same way about Moody, but I think Moody replacing the defense of Gary Payton the second is not. Realistic. They're going to have to do it in somewhat a different way, maybe with a little more size, or as you started to talk about, bring in DiVincenzo, who provides shooting, doesn't provide the same level of finishing, can get over a screen on defense, but you know, again, he's not maybe the best defensive guard in the league the way Gary Payton the second is. Well, let's talk about DiVincenzo. I wrote a you know kind of a big piece, kind of you know it was it was interesting to go back and watch film from his third season in Milwaukee which you know you look at he was a starter on the eventual champs he started 66 games uh you know he was 10 plus points per game nearly six rebounds that's a part of his game even when you watch film or just look at the stats you're like man this guy really rebounds for his position and his size um and you know compared to I mean, we'll see if Andrew Wiggins arrives back in the regular season as the rebounder we've known him for his entire career or the rebounder we saw in the playoffs, which were two different guys. But typically, Wiggins hasn't been a high-level rebounder at the wing. Clay Thompson, no, 3.9, I think, is the most he's ever had for a season in his career. So he helps in in little ways like that. His catch-and-shoot numbers were awesome in that breakout season in Milwaukee. And 
weren't good after he came back from the injury in Milwaukee, but then goes to Sacramento in his 25 games there. He had great catch-and-shoot numbers, like 42%. Um, he can do a little bit off the dribble. Maybe you throw it to him in the late clock. He can go you know, create a play. He can get to his mid-ranger. But generally, if, like inefficient as like a creator, but more of a creator than Gary Payton II obviously ever was. Um, so, I don't like who to you is a better player, Dante DiVincenzo or Gary Payton II? For probably most teams in the league, particularly if he's able to get back to that level that he was in his third season, you would say DiVincenzo. Gary Payton II is just too difficult of a fit for most teams. Even if he's guarding the three on the other end, you're just not going to have enough shooting around him. Most teams are going to have a non-shooting center. They don't have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole to give you enough shooting, and then you can play off that, slip into the rim. Like, most teams can't do that. So DiVincenzo, he's plug-and-play. He's a normal shooting guard. He can get over a screen in conventional pick-and-roll defense uh, with the best of them. Pretty good there. You know, not quite big enough to be a switch guy, but he'll fight. He'll battle at least. You know, he, he's been well-schooled and playing winning basketball in Milwaukee. Villanova, and, too. Yeah, Villanova as well. And then he'll make spot-up shots well enough and maybe can run a little bit of pick-and-roll or play in transition some. You know, this is when he's at his best. He still is kind of working his way back from that ankle injury. So, I mean, certainly DiVincenzo is a guy who's being talked about, you know, getting a normal starting shooting guard contract uh, before he went down after his third year. And, you know, Gary Payton was never going to get that. What type of – if DiVincenzo never – I believe it was like a really like a torn tendon in the foot. It was a really bad injury. I mean, it was six months from it. What type of contract do you think he was on his way to? Yeah, something probably in the mid-teens. I would think, and I think that's part of why even Milwaukee moved on from him when they did. They felt like he wasn't going to fit into their salary structure if he played well. Then in Sacramento, you know, he, he got a little bit better, but still, you know, wasn't able to do much from two point range. And Sacramento is where good defenders go to die and <laughs> fall into obscurity. So, uh, and they prioritized Malik Monk over him, which I think might have been a mistake, actually. So, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you could have had him and Herder, I guess. But, you know, I mean, like you, I think you add the Herder trade that was clearly in the works as part of like Sacramento's restructure. We'll see if that's correct or not. But that definitely, you know, obviously it forces the uh, them to like rescind the qualifying offer, which, you know, leads into a market where DiVincenzo gets squeezed. They get him from what I've heard. He had taxpayer mid-level offers. He takes a little bit less. That's going to allow the Warriors to bring Ryan Rollins on the roster using some of their mid-level um, bargain, but still, you know, a good amount of tax money. You could tell how much the Warriors wanted him because my expectation once Gary Payton II bolted was that they wouldn't use a taxpayer mid-level. They didn't last season, but they've always said if there is somebody who they feel like moves the needle enough, they would, and they feel like he moves the needle. This was their number one target post Gary Payton II. Yeah, and they desperately need someone who can get over a screen in conventional pick-and-roll defense, who can guard some of the best guards. And again, he's not Gary Payton, who, like, John Morant even, like, didn't really want to attack, right? Like, this is is more, you know, we'll see how it goes with DiVincenzo guarding someone like that. But he at least has a chance. He has that profile. The Warriors have nobody else who can do it. Well, I mean, it's Wiggins, but Wiggins isn't really, like, a jaw-type defender. But, I mean... Wiggins needs help and you know Wiggins yeah. and, and Clay Thompson while he got better and, and he got best at the you know his best defensive like week was the most important week of the season was like the last yeah. four games of the Celtics series but 
Yeah, you're correct. I mean, like, you know, part of the reason they, they intended to bring Gary Payton the second back and, and the reason why you don't just want to hand his minutes over to Moses Moody and expect something similar is because he is an elite. Would you say, I mean, he's like a top five perimeter ball hawk, you'd probably say. In the league. DiVincenzo? No. Oh, Payton, Gary Payton. Payton. Yeah, Gary Payton. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe so, even even higher than that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you take that away, you place it with DiVincenzo. I mean, I, there was I put some film in my the article I wrote, but like he he was guarding Jordan Poole pretty well. Like Jordan yeah. Poole is quick. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, what? So there. It, well, well, so one more thing on that. I mean, I think the other two guys that I would have been actually there are three guys that I would have been kind of interested in for that role for the Warriors. Uh, one of them would have been Derek Jones Jr., who signed a one plus one for three point three million with the Bulls, and he's got more length. You know, could switch a little bit more. Can't but, shoot it though. Right, but he can do that. He played the exact same way offensively that Gary Payton the second did, if not even more spectacular of a finisher and alley oop guy. Um, you know, Bruce Brown was another one. He went to the Nets for the full taxpayer mid level for two years. And then another guy actually just got signed by Phoenix, Josh Okoge, would have been an interesting guy to see if they could rehab. He's a real defensive playmaker, strong, athletic, can finish at the rim again. Sort of can't shoot was his problem, but the Warriors can use guys like that potentially. So we'll see. Uh, you know, DiVincenzo, again, he's just more kind of a normal shooting guard who gets over the screen, but, you know, isn't as switchable, isn't quite the playmaker that some of these other guys, including obviously Garris Payton the second more. The loss of Porter and Bielitsa, again, they, they had minimum offers out to both. They were not going to go over the minimum for either. Bielitsa takes a, a, a job overseas back in you know familiar territory with Fenerbahce where he once played. Uh, and Porter goes to Toronto for a bit more money in two years understandable but clearly like they know, they wanted that type of player back on the roster which is not a non-center but a guy who can play kind of big both of them can play kind of big and both of them can shoot it uh to me that leaves a void on their roster construction that remains as of when we're talking you know free agency something could pop at any moment but uh, they need to me like kind of a stretch big who's maybe not a traditional center they certainly are not attempting to block the james wiseman path but they do kind of need that type of player left out there, like Serge Ibaka is out there, Juancho Hernan Gomez is out there. I mean, is there anybody you see, like, like is there anybody left on the free agent market that is obtainable to the Warriors at the minimum that you think helps the rotation? Yeah, Hernan Gomez would be an interesting one, I, I think, because he, he had a little bit of a renaissance in Utah, can shoot it okay, rebound, move his feet. So that that's a thought, but again... Like, I think you just go into the season with that spot being Jonathan Kaminga. And you know what? If, I mean, obviously you got to win a championship. And if Jonathan Kaminga is not up to it, then so be it. But, like, he's a four right now. He's athletic. Like, he's supposed to be able to shoot a little bit. He's supposed to be able to play in transition. He's supposed to be able to start. I mean, Jonathan Kaminga could even kind of be that Gary Payton the second spot a little bit as well, too, just playing as a four. But then you could put have him and Wiggins playing together with Draymond at center and get some more athleticism that way. Now, I don't know if Kaminga's going to be ready for that. Uh, he also just gives you more on offense than a lot of these guys. But this is when you draft guys like this and you're a good organization, you have some confidence that the guys you drafted can step in. And, hey, you know what? If they can't, 
there's always the trade deadline. There's always the buyout market for these types of players. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. If it's to the point in the playoffs next season where they're getting burned because they need an extra perimeter defender and they don't have it, and Wiseman's just not ready to contribute in a playoff situation, Kaminga's probably in the rotation, but let's say he's just you know struggling kind of like he did in the Memphis series, and they end up losing let's say in the playoffs next year because of that you can point to the money that they couldn't pay Gary Payton or were unwilling I should say to pay Gary Payton which you know again for an owner who has always paid um and and has just paid record luxury tax it's it's I think unfair to you know label it cheap but this was a cost reasoning move um where if that all happens then you can start to look at like their plan essentially, which is Kaminga is going to get six million next year. James Wiseman is getting nine point six million. I mean, like, you know, if you lose next season because Gary Payton's not on the roster and James Wiseman is, then suddenly there's a larger microscope on this general win now, develop now plan. Now, a lot of the risk of that, or, or uh, I guess, criticism of that, get kind of gets quieted because of the fact that they didn't win this past title. Um, but as you view the roster construction next year, that's clearly where i don't know i guess the microscope really kind of uh zooms in yeah and certainly for a team like this that as you noted has never lost anybody over money now let's keep in mind right there have been a few of these right andre guadala was one he's really the only one who ever like really made them pay up right like even even steph got squeezed he didn't get a no trade he didn't get a player option clay didn't get a player option and it was Draymond the first time in restricted free agency got less than the max somehow. I don't know how that ended up happening. Uh, so they always seem like they're not going to just pay somebody in particular, nor should they, given like the incredible cash outlays. But since they're now in the repeater tax, remember last year they're just in the regular tax because they got out of the tax in the 2020 year. And so, yeah, I mean, this is just what happens to championship teams that have been around for a long time and sometimes you just you got to lose guys like this uh, and yeah I mean, I mean we'll see you know they could possibly lose the championship next year because Gary Payton the second is not there but they have guys that they are you know more versatile players that are going to be a part of the group in the long term and I think it's particularly with that third year when you're going to have like pools extension kicked in at that point like it's 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 well, and, really and, hard. And I think we both know, like, Wiggins' eruption in the playoffs changed the equation in a couple ways, where it always felt like Wiggins' contract expiration date 
yeah. was which is right you know before pools potential extension would kick in it always felt like maybe you just let it expire and that's where moody and kaminga fill in now because of the wiggins the way wiggins played he has played himself much more into the yeah. picture in the future number one and number two he's played himself to the point where you know even if you were even six months ago if you were talking about maybe you do extend wiggins you were talking about like 20 million a year right now what like i don't know what do you think an andrew wiggins extension starts at like a, a raise on his current salary yeah i don't know about that i i think let's see where the dust settles this year like the, as Myers said they're not in a rush they can do this all the way certainly through the trade deadline and then all the way up until even uh you could do it at any point he referenced the fact that Aaron Judge he actually named Aaron Judge and what's gone on with the Yankees that Aaron Judge basically told him if it's not done by the first game of the regular season like don't talk to me about it and he's like some athletes are like that but his point was some athletes aren't and you could sit there it could be game 17 next season and then suddenly they they sign it not that that's going to happen but that's the timing of it compared to pool where there is actually a deadline uh, right around Halloween. Yeah. And I think you got to take a look at who's going to have cap space next year as well. When you know that that's a data point that will be important. And what does the team look like uh, as well? You know, if like going four years, 120 million as an extension on Andrew Wiggins right now is not something that I would advocate for. If they, you know, maybe you get twenty five million a year, then I would think about it, right? But unless you're getting a discount right now, I they don't have the restricted rights on him, obviously. What, but are, I, yeah. what are the rules on an extension like that when he's, you know, because I know, like, can you go way, on, can you go under your number on an extension under your current number, or isn't there rules against that? No, you can go under your current number okay. on it on an extension. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Did someone tell you that? I maybe it's been. I guess it's so rare that people sign extensions for lay, way less than they're making now that it's like no one is just going to sign an extension on a, a pay cut. Uh, so you yeah, know, a lot most of the time it's guys opting out to do that. Yeah, okay. like Chris Paul and uh, what Harden's going to do this year. Yeah, but. okay, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask you about Moody. I was uh, figuring we were going to get a Moody game, but they've decided they didn't want to play him in a back-to-back, so Warriors are going to play him in the Summer League game uh, tomorrow. But he he was the draft pick who went the latest of the Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody trio, but he is the one that seems like this will have the smoothest transition to, like, boom, you're, you're in the rotation, you're getting 25 minutes every night. We're just – like we were talking about earlier, he isn't Peyton. DiVincenzo isn't Peyton, but he's going to fill that void in a different way. What do you think of him year two? I just I want to see whether he can be better as an individual defender one-on-one. Like if he's switching on to, say, Luca or switching on to a guy that's a little quicker, it wasn't. he doesn't look like he's a defensive liability out there, but he got blown by a lot this year. Like It wasn't a huge sample because – you know, frankly, he wasn't being tested that much. He's going against bench units. He's not on the scouting report at all. But I was not very happy with what he did in an individual defense standpoint. So that's I think the rest of his game's going to come along. He's a smart player, knows how to cut. I have no concerns that he's going to make shots. He'll rebound the way we've seen from him. Like all that, I think is going to be good, and it'll get incrementally better. But he's not going to help this team that much if he can't at least be like an average 
credible guy who's not going to get attacked defensively. Yeah, and you know, the more we talk about, it, the more we lay out what the next season might look like. They have not completed their roster, obviously, to this point, but Kaminga really is going to be needed and walked into a you know a regular rotation role where I think you know Moody will play obviously a bunch but Moody DiVincenzo seems like somewhat of like a pecking order battle probably heading into camp they're similar size similar type players in some ways uh and I feel like that like one of those two is probably gonna have to leap above the other that's probably something we'll be watching yeah, I would think so. And obviously, you'd think the tie will go to Moody, the longer-term piece, if he does beat him up. But they, they do different things as well. I think it'll be on a night-to-night basis if you're going up against a great pick-and-roll point guard and the game plan is to play a conventional pick-and-roll defense, well, then it's going to be DiVincenzo. I don't think Moody may never be that guy, and he's certainly not there right now. If, if it's something where they feel like they need more size or just, you know— it, a little bit more shooting. Maybe Moody is a better shooter. Like that, although that's a question mark still. We'll, uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. But yeah, I think you're right on that. Last piece of uh, you know, I guess Warriors related news in the first couple of days of free agency. What's really the biggest piece of news? I mean, they get Kevon Looney back three years to twenty five point five million. Um, you know, I think it's around seven point eight ish year one. Which you know, you look around market wise, that's a bargain. Even though um, the market, you know, I guess dictated it. The fact that they. Three million partially guaranteed on the third year is important. That's very James Wiseman related. Uh, you know, if Wiseman does pop, that gives the Warriors obviously an ability to 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 move on in the future. But in the now, I mean, if you're Kavon Looney, you're looking around and you're going, Vicha Zubac gets three years, thirty-three million. Very similar player for another contender. Marvin Bagley gets three years, thirty-seven million. Uh, that's gotta frustrate a guy like Kevon Looney. Even Hartenstein, basically, I think Hartenstein's salary next season will start a little bit ahead of what Kevon Looney's salary is going to start at. I understand the dynamics at play that led Looney to kind of be forced into taking this type of deal with the Warriors, and it is great for the Warriors, especially considering the punitive tax bill that they're facing. But how many times does Kevon Looney need to just get squeezed by the market? This is what he deserves, I think, honestly. I mean, I'll put it this way. It's, maybe it's not what he deserves, but it, the market has dictated this because, again, like he's, his production for the Warriors, you know, he's a better player for Golden State than Zubats or Hartenstein would be because of the fact that he can switch the way he can and knows their system, can pass a little bit. You know, just smart player, and it also it's pretty good protecting the rim as well. And good offensive rebounder, though those guys are too. So he absolutely like for the Golden State Warriors, Kevon Looney is a better player than Zubats and Hartenstein. Although both those guys are very underrated rim protectors and could be used, I think, by this team too. But for how many other teams is that really the case? Because the problem is, what is the number one play that every team runs on offense in the NBA? pick and roll the Warriors run the least pick and roll of anyone in the league Kevon Looney is not a good pick and roll center he is one of the worst offensive centers in the NBA and so he's and he's improved his finishing some but he can't really play pick and roll he doesn't have like a floater game he doesn't really have a pick and pop game he can't really get alley-oops and so yeah he's a good defensive center but he's not good enough offensively really to start right if if there was a team that wanted to offer him the money to come in and start, he would have gotten $10 million a year. But there isn't that team. You just go through it. Like, they need more 
of a conventional offensive role. And like with Peyton, I would say, like his value is unique to the Warriors because he can survive offensively and even thrive off of that Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green as well ecosystem in a way that it wouldn't really work for the vast majority of teams. Yeah, man. Can you imagine having to be him and staring at that Marvin Bagley contract, though? Well, imagine me having to stare at that Marvin Bagley contract on my spreadsheet. I mean, that was that was probably the worst contract of the offseason. So. What did Plumlee get from the Pistons a couple years ago? Wasn't it like two for 18? I mean, it was something like $9 million a year. Uh, yeah, he, it was uh, three for 27, but a uh, partial guarantee in the last year. So... Like uh, another terrible contract, yeah, by the way. Well, that's my, I guess that's my point. If like yeah. you're loony, right. you know, you're like, you have won on the biggest stage, and like you have proven you can, you know, it is a unique environment that is yeah. specifically, it isn't specifically, to, uh, uh, I guess, designed for loony, but he, he fits as a perfect type of piece within it. Um, so I understand all that, but man, it's got to be tough. I'm like, somebody can't overpay me. You know what I mean? Like you're looking at players like he is just a b- better basketball player than Plum. He's a better basketball player than anything Marvin Bagley's ever shown. And it's just like, he's got to come back on 7 million. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, Plumlee can at least go get an alley-oop, right? So he can play pick and roll. I mean, believe me, Plumlee to me has long been uh, someone I've said is very overrated. I completely understand that. And for a good team, you'd rather have Looney, I would say, but you know, he's Kevon Looney is a backup on the vast majority of teams in the NBA. And it sucks for him because you would say like, I'm the starting center on the NBA champions. Like I've earned more than this, but that's just uh, the market. And also, I mean, like, you know, Steph, the reason he plays so well is because Steph Curry is on his team, right? Like it, he's, it allows his weaknesses are hidden and his strengths can be accentuated. I agree. One thing I would be curious about, is he actually looked a lot less limited than he ever has during these playoffs. He was finishing better. Obviously, he's worked a ton with Dehan and like, you know, to me, I I his limitations remain, but also like suddenly he was like an elite offensive rebounder out of nowhere. I mean, he led the playoffs in offensive rebounds. I think he showed there is more. Maybe it's just most of his strengths were just like on steroids during the playoffs, but I mean, it'll never happen. He's I think he's smart to come back and remain as a starter and remain in this environment that's comfortable to him. But I'm curious if he was given, like, a starting center role in a different situation. I think he might be better than than maybe we all imagine because he was just better in the playoffs than I ever thought he would be, like, as a player, just straight up as a player. Yeah, but even still, like, think of how he was getting all those finishes at the rim, right? It's not on pick and roll where he's coming downhill and there's actually, like, kind of someone in his way. He's got to finish on them like he's he's not gonna it's getting a, an alley it's a blitz double team or, yeah, you know, like, so. and, and he's gotten better as a finisher like you know he gets the ball underneath he's got these pump fakes like he actually like did a good job against robert williams as well as like he's certainly improved with some of his footwork down there as a finisher but he's still getting set up right underneath yeah. the basket you know it's not it, it's a different situation than rolling hard to the rim having a lot of gravity you know, making a play going downhill when a guard has come over trying to take the charge. It's, it's just a different thing. No doubt. All right. Nate Duncan, promo what you got. <laughs> yeah, just uh, the Dunked on Prime podcast is going strong. Every signing, every day we're talking about it, we'll have the breakdown of the KD trade when it happens, if it does. If 
It happens. I have had a few people say, you know, what if the Nets just play hardball? Oh, God. I Please don't play hardball. I, I can't take it any. I can't take more Nets drama. Can we just get the Nets being irrelevant what again? If it, what if it's KD and Westbrook? But if it's a Kyrie trade to the Lakers and it's KD and Westbrook re- reunited in Brooklyn, would that uh, fancy you at all? I, I don't want to have to retire us later. <laughs> all right. I am going to retire this podcast. Uh, and we will, me, Tim, and Marcus will probably talk to you at some point.